Hi, this is Leonard Cochran, the host of Furloughed. Just want to give you a heads up. In this episode, we talk about PTSD and talk about a lot of emotional stress and some things. So for those of you that may be sensitive to those issues or concerns about those issues, just wanted to give you a warning prior to you listening. There's nothing graphic. Just wanted to be aware of folks who may have concerns listening to the content like this. Hello and welcome to Furloughed, where we talk about defining moments worth talking about. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and with me, we have Steve Otterstrom. And Steve, it's been a heck of a week. Uh, I know you celebrated your anniversary. I did mine last week, and yours was this past week. So gotta ask, what did you do to top my anniversary? We'll start there and talk about our weeks. Fortunately, you celebrated your anniversary by going to a cemetery and staring at a fountain. So it wasn't terribly difficult for us to top your anniversary. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> what did you do? Yeah. Well, Elizabeth and I were celebrating our 20th. And, and of course, uh, we had had big plans uh, to maybe make a trip out of it. Um, unfortunately, as everyone is aware, traveling is a little bit difficult. But we were able to go up into the mountains and get far away from all humanity and uh, we were there for a couple of nights, so three days, two nights. Um, came home smelling horrible and 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 still in love. So um, <laughs> we're good to both of those, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I, either way, I think I think we did I think we did all right. Um, we did keep uh, going to a cemetery and staring at a fountain as a backup plan if it <laughs> rained or something. Good, good. In my memory, but, obviously. Well, good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought if it works for Leonard and you've been together for 31 years, of course, I don't know, maybe will you make it to 32 with that yeah. kind of an anniversary? We'll find out. Yeah, there you go. Well, while you were doing that, uh, this this week, and you and I had talked briefly at the front of the week, but not so much at the end. Uh, but this week, from an emotional perspective for me, um, Monday, Tuesday, my energy was down this past week. And it took me a few days to kind of recoup my energy. And so, you know, back to, we, we kind of continually reference that emotional transition line. And I'm sure Britt Andrea and us thrilled that we keep going back to that section of her book, Wired to Resist, but it, it just is so relevant. Uh, so without question, as I look at that timeline, again, that flow line uh, for folks that have that book, uh, it, the anxiety is is probably been a little more stirred in me in the frustration and it's it's really almost a numbness and so i was very fortunate this past weekend um where i attend church they actually had parking lot church so we got to get out of our cars and sit in lawn chairs and uh, so we saw people we hadn't seen in weeks and weeks and so that that was a bit of a pick me up for me uh but it, it's been it's been a little, the emotional side of it's been kind of like a wave starting to kind of cover me a little bit. Um, how, how have you been doing outside of the, the joyous camping experience, Steve? Uh, how, how are you doing? You know, it's, it's interesting because I think we're, we're following a similar curve on, on that mm -hmm. side. I mean, I, I, I have to always remind myself that what I'm going through, and actually I, I read a, um, a post on on Facebook that was talking about how we're not all in the same boat. We're just in the same storm mm -hmm. because yeah. every, everyone's going through something different. And, um, in many ways, I, I, I almost feel guilty 
that it's not as bad for me <laughs> because, you know, for whatever reason, I'm in the demographic of people that our society says we should help out. Mm. So my income hasn't really been affected that much because of the additional uh, $600 a week that the federal government is, is, is giving. Yes. Um, and, but yet at the same note, I look out there and I look at the news and, and I look at travel trends and it just doesn't look like people will be traveling anytime soon. And you and I both know that until they travel, chances of us going back to work just, you know, get pushed out further and further. You know, when this yeah. whole thing started, um, it was like, well, three months, that's a long time for things to get better. And now we're not quite at the halfway point, but we're, we're getting close to that. And I'm not seeing any, you know, so that, that anxiety does mm -hmm. certainly begin to creep in. And then, um, well, and as a reminder to our listeners, Steve, you and I work for a hotel company. So just in case they're not aware. Yes. And so yeah, yes. until people travel, <laughs> there's not much need of us being there and we work in the corporate no. office. And so, <laughs> you may well spend a night or two in a hotel, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be needed at the corporate level uh, until that exactly. grows. So just, yeah. I wanted to add some context <laughs> there. It goes back to what they, what, what we talked about last week and, and, and coming to the realization we're not essential. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought <laughs> we were important. Me, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought we were important, but uh, we are non-essential. Yet with that said, as much as I sit here and, 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 and complain maybe or, or, or get anxious, I have to stop and, and think there are people doing so much worse. I mean, even for example, a very close friend of mine, um, she was waiting for her $1,200 to come in. And then she just recently learned that uh, because she files jointly with uh, her husband who is undocumented, that uh, she's not getting $1,200. Mm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a heavy blow yeah. uh, because I, I promise she needed it. Yeah. You know, her, her kids eat food just like mine, regardless of who her father is, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> their father is, you know, um, and he also eats food too and, yeah. and needs <laughs> yes. help. It seems, to be a common um, it seems to be a common thing uh, that those needs are across the board. So uh, I have to remind myself that I'm in a comfortable boat and, um, you know, maybe at some time this storm is going to, be harder on us, but um, kind of important to count our blessings too and reach out where we can. Yeah, yeah, no, well said, Steve. And just just for the record, uh, your cup is half full, mine's half empty. <laughs> so, yeah, because you're talking about being uh, almost halfway through the furlough, and I look at my calendar and I see I have one month out of three that I've completed. And so your calendar looks different than mine. Uh, so we, we, we've got a ways to go before we get out of this. And, and uh, as you say, we don't really know what July will hold for us at that point in time. We do uh, we're being optimistic and believing for the best. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is a bit of a challenge. So, well, good deal. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, we're going to go ahead and do a hard pivot, I suppose. Uh, but we've got a special guest today. And so um, this is our first guest. So we want to welcome Trish Yule to the podcast. And I want to get a little bit of an introduction, and then we'll hear from Trish. Uh, so Trish, uh, just, just, just for a point of reference, uh, I met Trish at this point, I believe it was nine years ago. 
and when I met Trish, uh, it, we, I think, hit it off right away. And we've stayed in touch throughout the years. And Trish knows, I think, half the world and half of the learning world as well as a learning professional that she is. So let, let me go ahead and do the formal introduction here and I'll tell you a little bit about it from a personal perspective. But uh, Trish Yule, creator of Learning Systems Engineer Framework and founder of Talent and Learning Analytics Leadership Forum. And one of Trish's last presentations on stage was pre-pandemic at the Pink Petro Energy 2.0 conference in Houston. And the title of Trisha's talk was Thriving in the Age of Analytics, AI, and Intelligent Machines. So hang tight, we'll explain that in a minute here. <laughs> and when she presented uh, the top three skills that are necessary to leverage data, artificial intelligence, which is what AI is for those that may not be familiar, she also talked about emerging technology and the analytics to enhance energy transformation projects and to optimize human performance. So there are humans in there. The key word is energy, which takes on today's conversation. So Trish and I were talking about our situation here. And so Trish kind of, first of all, unpack a little bit of that for us. Uh, and and uh, we, we can run down memory road a little bit more about each other, but unpack a little bit about what, what this forum was that you went to in your presentation there and help kind of bridge that gap initially for us. And we can dig deeper, but help kind of bridge that gap of how that ties to us in our pandemic furloughed world that we are in today. So, hey guys, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. This is very exciting. It's great to have you. Uh, so the whole reason why that particular lead-in uh, that I wanted to use is because that conference was actually um, last year when Pink Petro, under normal circumstances, let's just call it that, had their energy conference. Uh, it was over 80,000 people that were actually in attendance. Uh, and you're talking about people in the energy sector, oil and gas, uh, chemicals, uh, that whole world, literally with people from around the world. And so now you've got um, this year, the Energy 2.0 conference that was in Houston actually took place at the beginning of March. And it was right at the beginning where here, of course, in the United States is where what I would say is when things started to slide, right, where it became... You know, the WHO came out and said that, you know, it's a pandemic, that what's going on with coronavirus is a pandemic. And I was on a um, speaking tour and it was starting to be where I was winding up on these go, no-go calls with conference organizers that were trying to figure out what were the public health risks of putting on these events, including what was happening with Energy 2.0. And in addition, what happened with that particular conference was that was the same weekend that oil prices um, that, you know, it had become clear that um, countries were not going to play nice together as far as oil production was concerned. And that Monday morning is actually when oil crashed for the first time, which seems like forever ago. And of course, things have really unfolded. And the reason why I'm, I'm sharing all of this is because I was there to talk about analytics and emerging technology in front of a very, very technical crowd of people. And we wound up really talking about emotion uh, and how to deal with sort of everything that was going on in the world. 
And so from stage, um, from stage, what I really dug into with that audience in a very short amount of time was how do we manage our emotions and how do we manage our energy as we go through these high pressure challenges and also, uh, you know, in some cases, extremely stressful, extremely stressful situations. And I thought that for purposes of today and going and having this conversation together on the podcast, it's sort of the same kind of thing, right? We've got, you know, this world of sort of hard science that we're dealing with, with all the data that's coming out about um, many different things, right? It, it, you know, every time we pay attention to any kind of news channel or take a peek at what's happening with social media, there's some kind of data that's being shared about something that can feel pretty horrific. Um, and how are we, as you guys have been talking about, how are we dealing with, uh, the emotions of that and what are, what are some tools that might be able to help us and how does that all come into energy management and being able to manage our own energy and our own emotional states? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Trish. Yeah. That's a lot to unpack. And what I want to do, I, I think a good setup to kind of lead us into this. And you, we were just talking prior to the recording and I'm, I'm glad it's fresh in your mind because it certainly uh, uh, really is a memory that stands out to me that when, when you and I first met Trish, um, you had just come through a, a pretty hellacious ordeal in your own life. Um, you, you want to kind of unpack that and share that with us? I know uh, I, I, I could say it, but I'd like to hear it from you, if you don't mind kind of diving down that road a little bit. Yeah, I, well, and, and, and it sets up um, for this conversation and some of the, the tools and techniques that we'll talk about today. It's, um, I came by them, to your point, very honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are um, some tools and techniques that I've used in order to come through some pretty extreme situations, such as the one that you're uh, bringing up now. And so for me, about... Um, uh, 2008 is actually when it started. So from 2008 to 2010, three things really happened in my life that were um, life-changing. The first one was um, my husband died suddenly of a heart attack while I was actually away. I was actually at the ASTD conference in San Diego. And while I was gone, Brian died here at home. Uh, the second thing that happened was immediately following that, the same week that we buried my husband was the same week that we found out that my aunt, my youngest aunt, who was closer in age to me than she was to her siblings, and so she was very much like an older sister to me, uh, Maggie had um, her cervical cancer was back, and I wound up spending a year actually with Maggie in the last year of her life while she went through a number of um, different interventions in order to try and extend her life just long enough to watch her only child start college. And then right after Maggie died of cervical cancer and after being in that caregiver role uh, for a year and traveling around with Maggie and and dealing with that, um, I wound up in the ICU myself with stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma on life support with the family being called in uh, in order to say goodbye. Mm. Um, So it was the threefer. And, you know, it's really sort of interesting to talk about, you know, the science is that there's actually some science and research out there that suggests that when we do go through those types of life altering situations, 
um, people often do get sick. So often when a spouse uh, becomes ill or even passes away or we lose a child, um, any of those sort of very intimate, very close uh, relationships, often the survivor winds up with a critical health issue within two years after the uh, initial first incident. Oh, okay. um, and there's a lot of, yeah, there's actually, there's actually a lot of reason behind that. And sure, part of that yeah. is I can see how your, your own immunity system is down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to step on you. Yeah. But I could, I could see how no, your, that's okay. your own immunity may well drop during that time because you're a caregiver to somebody mm-hmm. else. And so deliberate or no, your own health suffers some some because of maybe not eating the way you normally would or those natural things but then just from a body chemistry response to the trauma of helping somebody through that is that do you have the research or knowledge on that is that accurate yeah i think it we also i think many of us are sort of uh anecdotally familiar with it too if we think about losing parents or grandparents and it it sometimes seems like when we lose one, um, sometimes the other one seems to follow shortly mm-hmm. thereafter. And, and that was where the body of research had originally started, um, was looking at that kind of phenomena to see if there was actually any kind of a link between, you know, does is that really happening? Is that phenomena, you know, is there really something there? Um, and I, I do... Uh, that's something I can I can dig up and we can put into the show notes too if somebody wants to if people want to dig into more of the research around that as well. But it also just goes to the interconnectedness of us, right? That sure. we do have um, this powerful impact and effect on each other sometimes in ways that we just uh, are not aware of or don't think about in the day to day. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's a heavy. <laughs> I'm giving folks chance to absorb here. <laughs> yeah. So this is when I met Trish, everyone. <laughs> so this is Trish yeah, Jewell and the Trish yeah. that I know. Really and, after that. Yeah. and oddly enough, Trish, uh, when I had met you or or just prior to meeting you, you were the president of at that time it was ASTD Association of Talent Development, and the chap the national program the. International Conference and Expo was held in Chicago. And and so that was under your leadership with scarf on head recovering and trying to grow hair. Uh, and by the time I met you in person, you had hair. But so you, you didn't shy back from too much of quote unquote normal life and responsibility in addition. So, um, I, I think this is really relevant to what it is that many of us are experiencing right now with the pandemic and with other crises that are happening, economic crises, the financial crisis, uh, you know, people who are losing people during this pandemic, sure. separated from people during this pandemic, all, all of those different dynamics. And, you know, what I craved then and crave now, I think, is shared, and that is some semblance of what we recognize as normal. Mm. And so you're right. It was we had the the international conference was here at McCormick, which is actually in Chicago right now, serving as a field hospital uh, for the coronavirus. Mm. And you know, so back in 2010, I literally went from the ICU to three weeks later, was in a wheelchair with a headscarf, wearing an adult diaper, presenting at McCormick Place at an international conference. And the reason why I'm sharing that in the detail that I did is to say, again, 
it was that was normal to me to be on stage to present at a conference and that was something we hadn't hosted as a city we hadn't hosted that particular event in 32 years and i was the uh, i was the president elect at the time um, and under you're right under my leadership it was i was in charge of strategy what was the local chapters role going to be like what was the presence going to be like how did we want that conference that serves uh, i think we had 10,000 people at that conference you know how are we going to show up at that event and so for me it was normal and we're reaching we get into an extreme state of crisis like that you're we're, we're craving normal or something that we recognize as normal and a return to that and i think that's a lot of the dynamic of course that's happening with all of us right now mm, that, that makes good sense i think it's interesting especially as you talk about this you know that you know, one thing that comes to my mind is that we have the benefit of talking about it in the past tense right now. And so, you know, this happened and this happened, this, this happened where the story has the beginning, middle and end. But what, what keeps hitting me is that when this was all happening, you didn't have that. This, this was your normal, <laughs> um, you know, one thing happening after another, after another. And, and, and it, it really does feel like it's it in many ways for many people, a parallel in that first, maybe their job disappeared, then someone got sick in their family, then um, and, and just piles on. And that, that doesn't feel like when you're in the moment that that there's going to be a nice end, that this is just what life is going to be from for forever on. Is that does that ring true? Is that did you have a sense that this was going to come to an end or was it just, I now need to live in this new reality? Yeah, that's a really good question, Steve. I, I, it's both of those things in that it was not only the series of these different um, crises that were unfolding in my life at that time. And as you, as you've suggested that that's happening now for, for many people right now, right. It, it seems like this unending um, series of suffering but it, for me then, as is the case for me now, and, and again, very fortunate, is that what was also seemingly unending was community support. Mm. Um, and that was a lot. It was, it was being in something together. And so, Leonard, you had talked about, you know, I was very involved with the ASTD chapter at the time, again, from a leadership position, very involved with this community of, of people around the world. And, you know, I had people even after, um, you know, before all the other stuff happened, even after Brian passed, I had, you know, people from the CPLP community and the ASTD community that were like going from Nevada or uh, uh, from Nebraska, like down to Florida. And they were like, hey, like Chicago was en route, like it was on the way. So we stopped by to make sure that you're OK. Like it was this real um, show of support. And and so I think the the thing that brings you through is a is is a is some hope um and it may not always be hope of being able to see some kind of light at the end of that tunnel or even understanding um what the scope of that tunnel is but it's just that sense of belonging whether it's belonging to a friendship circle or belonging to a family or belonging with our colleagues but it's that sense of having some place in community that um, even as 
the the crises unfold that there's some sense of being part of something larger than ourselves yeah. and that was true then as it as it is now yeah yeah that's that's so true and that seems to be a reoccurring uh, kind of a thought pattern as as we've been going through these podcasts, Trish. Uh, I, I'm certified in a mental health program called Wellness Re- Wellness Recovery Action Program, and that's definitely one of the things that we teach as a part of that program is surrounding yourself with community, having some folks you can go to. So, just uh, for, for our listeners' sake, just pause here for a moment and, and just want to encourage our listeners to. You've got to have that group. And if, if you're in this this far without that group, then obviously you need to find that group. And I know that's easy to say and harder to do because we've got to have genuine connection and uh, genuine um, reciprocal relationship to make that work. But I just want to encourage you that there's got to be a group there that you can connect with and you can do. And but it's really hard because right now, you know, we say you need community, you need community. And then, and then also don't get near anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, right. And it, it, it's, and, and I know we have, uh, options of calling people on the phone and their social media, but I think at, at times like just, just this last weekend, I, um, I needed to get something from the hardware store. So I put on my mask and my gloves and off I went. And I went into the hardware store and there was my brother. I hadn't seen him in like since this whole thing started. Mm. And it was just so exciting to see, even though there had maybe been conversations or there had been social media connections and things, it, it was like, oh, my goodness, you're a real person and you're really here. You know, so um, we need that community. And this almost is what makes this so difficult. Mm. And, and, you know, Leonard, I, I think I can speak for you as well. If there's anyone out there that is listening to this and you don't have anyone to talk to, email us. You know, yeah. We'll, yeah. we're on furlough. We have nothing better to do than to, um, than, than to email you back and, and yeah. <laughs> let you know that we care, even though there's, you know, there's not that ability to have that human connection. Yeah, I was going to say that, Steve. Um, obviously, you and I aren't medical professionals, but we can certainly listen to somebody. And uh, so just a quick, sorry, but it has to be a plug for our email address. It's furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. So I, I thank you for bringing that up, Steve, because that is um, just if anybody out there does want to contact us, I promise you we will be glad to respond. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help, we certainly will point you to any resources we're available. So Trish, back to you and your circumstance. So you did have a community surrounding you. And I I found out just recently, as we've talked about this pandemic and our current situation, you you had said that you were actually diagnosed with PTSD as well. Now, is that a result of this situation? It wouldn't shock me at this point if it was, but kind of unpack that if you would. Uh, And then what kind of treatment or what uh, was available to kind of help you get through that? Yeah, so there's sort of three levels to things, right? There's um, in going through any kind of a crisis, large or small, uh, even if it's, you know, our our daily circumstances, right? There there are emotions, there are memories, there are um, impulses that actually wind up being trapped in our bodies. 
um, that are associated then with those experiences. And so to me, I think of them as like energy excrement, right? So, and again, not to get too kind of crazy with all of this, but we get taught as children potty training, right? How to release excrement from our bodies. But whoever teaches us how to release the emotions of a very emotional and highly impactful situation, mm. we haven't learned that hygiene. And so even small, you know, even on a smaller scale in, in the relevance of things, um, you know, day-to-day stuff, or even before the pandemic, what we used to think about you know, as um, sort of, you know, daily stressors, if you will, there's sort of an energy buildup that happens in our in our bodies. Now, that can happen to a point where it's high pressure challenge that can move into a state of stress. The difference between those two would be that stress is where you really get into where the cortisol, you're really hitting that cortisol trigger in your body. Mm-hmm. And now you're starting to do damage, right? So that's not sustainable over a period of time. But then you go from stress into trauma. And so when you have a traumatic incident, when something traumatic happens, um, and for us, it could be any number of things, maybe some of the more common things in, in people's lives that they've experienced or that they've witnessed would be something like a car accident or um, something where we were doing something and suffered an injury or an illness um, or there was a, a highly traumatic event um, that happened uh, you know, in any of those types of circumstances where those would be examples, um, what happens with PTSD is the emotion and the biochemical and uh, electro response get trapped within our bodies. And so what happens is with PTSD is whenever there's another incident or another experience that has any kind of similarity in some way, it, it actually starts this impulse in our body. It triggers this reaction that puts us back into a loop that takes us back to the previous event, even if we don't consciously recognize that that's what's happening, yeah. right? So it just sets that, you know, chemical state back up so again. So that, that trigger really helps us or causes us to relive the event again, at least from some kind of a physiological or emotional perspective then. Exactly. And and part of it is the biochemical response and part of it is the amygdala response, right? So there's this um, firing of our nervous system and there's nowhere for the energy to go. It doesn't dissipate. Mm-hmm. And again, even if on an intellectual level, we're not aware of how those things are connected, like this experience that I'm having now when PTSD triggers and what the, you know, what the original event was that kind of set that into motion. Um, it's still just this, uh, this response that's happening within our bodies within, you know, these, not just sensations, but these, you know, these actual responses. Mm. And so for me, it was, um, it was my uncle who is a Vietnam vet. Michael Yule is actually very well published on the Vietnam war um, is one of the founders of veterans for peace. And so my uncle said to me shortly after Brian had died and after Maggie had died, um, some of the symptoms that I was exhibiting when I was at his, um, at his home in, in, uh, on his farm in Maine, um, was that he had suggested that I was suffering through PTSD, that I, mm. I was showing signs of that. And Michael is the, the chair of the PTSD symposium for the University of Maine. 
And so I went um, and sought treatment for that, that I was having these over-the-top reactions to what seemed like very, um, you know, small sorts of things, that that it was an oversized reaction that was both um, very heightened emotion and is very and very heightened physical response to some things that were you know, that would otherwise seem, you know, fairly nominal or, or even in some cases kind of normal. Interest, if, um, if we can, kind of, yeah. if you don't mind kind of unpacking that a little bit, just for clarity then. So uh, I, I get overreacting. I understand that. But does that necessarily mean that it was anger or uh, do you mind kind of unpacking? Um, I don't necessarily have to have a specific instance, but from your reactionary perspective, what what were some symptoms, visible signs that somebody else might would recognize as possibility of being PTSD, I guess, is what I'm really fishing for here. Yeah. So, so there's physical response to it and then there's the emotional response to it. So from, and it can vary for people. Um, For me, it was, um, uh, well, the emotional response to it was, was rage. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the way that that would manifest itself uh, at that particular time were heart palpitations, almost a paranoia. Um, uh, it was, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the physical symptoms yeah. were. It's kind of interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about those in a long time. Um, it was a panic attack. Um it was uh, your for me the my breathing got really shallow, um, and and even being the person experiencing that, you don't necessarily know that you're experiencing right. that, right? Like you're right. in it and you're having those sensations, but you're not taking stock on an intellectual level or cognitively of what those things sort of are. Well, um, what I find kind of fascinating here, Trish, is as uh, I'm vaguely familiar with PTSD and uh, I do have a family member that has mild PTSD and I've not necessarily seen his responses to things but uh, certainly in doing some reading about it and growing up during the Vietnam War and so I'm not uh, interested in how people respond. Long story short where I'm trying to go though is what's interesting is your body at that point in time as you were suffering PTSD is really just doing what it's designed to do, right? And that's, for folks that might not be familiar with it, it really is, uh, we are designed in such a way to react to danger. And so when you react to danger, your heart rate elevates, your eyes dilate, you know, your blood quickens through your body with the, with the heart rate going, and all, all of that is designed to protect you. And where the danger comes with PTSD or any form of, trauma uh, is when a person remains in that uh, physical state and psychological state ongoing. And really, so what I'm hearing, PTSD is nothing more than just repeating those patterns. Well, I I know that's a a cruel (laughs) summation of it, but it, it seems to be true. It's really just a matter of repeating those patterns due to triggers that happen which would normally protect you, but obviously, since you technically are no longer in danger, then you yourself can become a possible danger. Um, obviously, the spectrum is from mild to great. It's the way people react, but that's what it seems to be. 
Yeah, and I, I'm certainly not a medical professional sure. either in, in all of this. But the, but the other thing that happens, and this is what was explained to me by my therapist at the time, and that is there's also the neural network actually gets orphaned. Mm. So there's also there's a, there's a biochemical response, and then there's also the physiological change. And so it actually changes what's happening in our um, in our heads. So what happens is the neural network gets orphaned around that particular incident. So not only does our body, like what you were talking about, get flooded with emotions, and then that's what elevates all of those um, different uh, biological responses, but then also there's this um, electrical impulse where the amygdala is just firing, 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 and there's just nowhere in the neural network for it to go. It's almost like your um, the 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 memory has been uh, deadheaded, right? So it's just this emotional response that just keeps hitting against this sort of brick wall, and it's got no way of being able to dissipate, and so it can it just continues to fire. Mm. And so part of the repair of it is to repair the neural network to give it an opportunity to be able to absorb those impulses. Um, and to be able to deal with the uh, biochemical flush of those sensations, because you literally get overwhelmed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it just over, it just overcomes you. Um, it just overcomes you. And then how people react to that, right? So uh, in an extreme case, either with violence or with shutting down completely, it's in response to what's happening with these sensations in our body with this, with these responses. Wow. You know, Trish, as, as you're, you're talking about this, I, I, I'm really curious, you know, you mm. said your, your uncle was kind of instrumental in helping you recognize it was there, but my, my experience with people around me who have dealt with uh, different mental illnesses at different times is that, you know, we always feel like our emotions are justified that um, it's, it's, it's unusual for us to go, well, you know, that probably is because of some mental malady or something happening in my brain. How did you react and how easy was it for you to kind of embrace this diagnosis or was there a feeling like, I don't, this shouldn't be me or how did you, how, how did you, how did you feel about that possibility? Yeah, I resisted it. I, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a really good question, Steve. I resisted it, and and what was interesting was um, previous to all of that, I had uh, I worked on a project. Um, my uh, company, Owls Ledge, had gotten a, a grant from the McCormick Foundation, and we worked with uh, Easter seals. Oh, geez, back in the summer of two thousand and nine. Um, this must have all been going on around the same time, and we were working on that was 2009 was the first year that in the United States, we were bringing back the the largest military active duty military was coming back to the United States for the first time and, and going to, into the civilian workforce. And we, um, we were, we uh, created a, a workshop for organizations to learn how to um, recruit and hire military veterans. And one of the, um, and two things about that. One, uh, I had onboarded my uncle, Michael, to the project as a consultant to help us understand from a, a vet's standpoint. And two, 
we had a whole module on PTSD and traumatic brain injury. And so it was, um, it was, it was, it, you know, we often don't, we, we associate PTSD with war and with military veterans, or at least many of us do here in the United States. And it was like, okay, well, that's not me. Like I haven't had that experience. I haven't, I don't, you know, so um, there was an element of, there was an element of that. I don't, know that I was resistant and being resistant to mental illness. I had had challenges with depression when I was younger, when I was a teen. So being open to dealing with a mental illness, I was okay with. It was, um, it was, I, I couldn't sort of reconcile what he, what Michael was talking about and see myself as having had that experience given what I thought was the only way that people would suffer through something like PTSD. So weighty subject here. <laughs> so we do yeah. we definitely want to dig into some solutions, but the reason we've delved down this uh, and went down this road is let, let's kind of talk about today and what's going on. And so Trish, having been through this experience, um, let, let's, before we start talking solutions, let's kind of talk about how does this um PTSD or these emotions that, and, and all of this that you've talked about, how does this tie back to us today? And I know I, know I ask you because of firsthand experience of having been through this situation, I can see some correlations of how it can as well. But I'd, I'd like you to speak to that some. And I, again, I recognize we're not medical professionals, but just based on your thoughts and opinions of what you've been through and what you see happening in your community of friends today uh, during the pandemic and during the lockdown and during the concerns of catching the virus. So kind of talk to that. So folks that maybe tie uh, a better parallel to that situation and what we're going through now and the dangers of what we're going through now. Well, I think, you know, it, it goes back to some of the things that you and Steve were talking about at the beginning of the show. And, and so I have some questions for you that I think will help us frame for maybe some of the shared experiences. Um, I, you know, I thought it was I thought it was great that you said I, I like the quote that we're not all in the same boat, but we're in the same storm. Right. So there's this there are these multiple storms that are brewing and, and everybody's having a different experience of it. And Steve, you said something about, um, you were kind of talking about the duality of this. And the one is, on the one hand, kind of being fine for all intents and purposes, but then also having exposure to other people who are, are seem to be having a tougher time with this. And you, you seemed earlier in this podcast, it almost felt like a sense of guilt is that accurate? I think that's very, I think that is accurate. I think that's accurate, especially from, you know, the, when you, when I see people around me who are suffering and, and I'm not <laughs> to the same degree, uh, there is this feeling of, you know, why am I, why am I in this situation? And they are not, um, and and even with that, it's it's kind of like, it, am I allowed to say poor me? Maybe that's really the <laughs> the question I have to ask myself. If if I'm suffering, am I do I give myself permission to suffer, or do I need to somehow say, well, I don't have it as bad as this other person? And I think that's its its own deformed way of looking at things. 
Yes, because again, I, I don't know when it is in our lives that we would have been taught on how to expose those emotions and then address them. Um, and so to us, it becomes the measuring stick, right? Like, is my suffering, how is my suffering compared to your suffering? Uh, you know, it's almost, a, it's, um, we're, we're so geared towards performance, right? My report card versus your yeah. report card, where are we on the bell curve? Um, that we, we tend to make the, we tend to make the comparison that we just sort of, we just sort of default to that. Um, so let me ask you, let me ask you this, where do you, where does, where do you feel that in your body? Like what, like, what does that sensation feel like to you? Um, that sensation probably comes across as a kind of an anxiety. Um, and so that probably would be like more in my chest kind of with, uh, you know, like maybe an elevated heart rate type of thing. Not like, you know, like my heart is racing or anything, but just kind of this alertness, um, as, as I'm trying to figure out if, if I should be able to feel a certain emotion <laughs> or not. And, and I really loved like the analogy you made at the beginning. It's, you know, our emotions in some ways are like that bowel movement. <laughs> is it, a, is it at yeah. a point that you can release it or, or do I hold on and have emotional constipation? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it's such, such a, a great way of, of seeing it. I, I kind of have been thinking about that really the entire time that we've been talking is that, you know, um, we, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with negative emotions, um, other than smile through them. Yeah. And uh, well, that I, I don't believe that's very healthy. Well, one thing that comes to mind too, I'll interject real quick too. Um, as we talk about all this, one of the things as a culture, you know, as an American culture, so many of us and males in particular, you know, we are taught to kind of stuff and suppress those emotions. I'm dealing with a seven-year-old grandchild now, and one of the things is, you know, okay, he's he's seven years old, he's a kid, you cry irrationally at that age, you know, that you, you want to eat this or you want a popsicle, whatever the case is, and it's silly to cry over something like that, or rather than helping to train a child to express the emotion but then give a positive reaction to that emotion or a positive spin to that emotion, our normal tendency is, you know, what are you crying about? Stop that, suck it up, deal with it. And again, especially as guys, I think uh, culturally we've kind of done that historically and I don't know that we've swayed far from that now. So as I hear Steve wrestling and talking about his emotions of, of guilt, I, I can't wonder too how much of that comes into play. In addition, just like you've said, Trish, as a society, we've kind of, we've not dealt with it as a larger society with a lot of these other forms of emotion as well. So it's, it's really, really a challenge, I think for us. Well, and just even that, I, I think you, I think you've hit on the, the word too, Steve, in that it's permission, mm -hmm. right? So the first thing is giving us permission to even acknowledge that we're having the emotion. And then I would think giving us also space to be able to feel that emotion. So like what you're saying, Leonard, with your grandson, you know, it's like, okay, 
the crying is a physical manifestation, right? It's, it's, a, it's some sensation or sensations in his body that are signaling this physical phenomena to happen that, you know, becomes right. crying. And so then, you know, how do we, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I, my youngest nephews, when they were really little, after they had lost their first pet, um, we had a conversation, you know, afterwards, it was one of those things where it was like, you know, this traumatic event happened and we went out for ice cream afterwards and two very, very different um, people, right? Brothers, but very, very different sure. people. And I asked them, I, you know, I said, well, where are you, what sensation are you feeling and where is it in your body? And my uh, eldest nephew at the time, who at the time I think was eight, said it's in my he looked at me like I had three heads he was like it's in my head Aunt Trish like it's all you know and he pointed to his head and the youngest one who I think was uh probably about five or six at the time and I looked at him and I said well what do you feel and where do you feel it and he just went everywhere <laughs> everywhere it's just everywhere <laughs> and I think that's such a powerful thing right there in that we often, even naming a feeling or naming an emotion, right. our individual experiences of that feeling and that emotion are not necessarily the same, you know? So, so like Steve, you know, that feeling of what you would label as anxiety and what's happening in your chest and feeling what's happening with your heart may not be the same, you know, Steve, when you think about anxiety or you think about the feeling of guilt, like, you know, those may be different sensations for you. So just giving us permission to acknowledge that there's some kind of sensation, there's something happening internally in our bodies and that we're allowed to, um, to pay attention, that we're allowed and to even feel it, right? To allow the expression of it. Now that doesn't give us permission to go running off in, and um, it, it doesn't give us permission to, um, I'm not sure where the boundary act is there. I haven't thought that all the way through. Yeah. yeah. Act inappropriately or, or use it as an excuse to, um, you know, to hurt others hurt or, but, but it's an, but a part of it is just even a, an awareness problem that, that that's the first piece, an awareness mm -hmm. problem and, and a name, like how do we even give it a name, a voice and open air for, you know, some level of expression. And how do we, yeah, many of us have been socialized and certainly you all as men and certainly we as women, we as women are often socialized to, you know, just get on with it, yeah. right? Like to get on with it from the standpoint of hold the family together to, you know, bring the community together, to play the nurturing part, to be selfless to, you know, to some degree, you guys are the protectors and the providers and we're, you know, supposed to be the emotional support and process everybody's emotions for, you know, the world. And um, so there's socialization, of course, in that, and we're making generalities. Sure. Um, but how do we, how do we stop those or pattern interrupts, stop those patterns enough to be able to sort of um, take stock and put some attention on, on what's, what's happening, not just around us, but internal to us. Well, <laughs> that, that's the million dollar question. Yeah. And, and we are nearing the end of our time. So obviously we're going to have to continue this conversation, Trish. And we've not even scratched the surface of a solution yet. But I, I, from so far, just a quick recap of what I've seen or, or heard, I should say, during this is 
we definitely need a community of support around us, regardless of who we are. Um, and, and just maybe as importantly, um, I, I don't want to prioritize importance, so I take that back. But uh, <laughs> another important element, I should say then, is our own self-awareness. So as we're going through this pandemic, I know leading into it, we had a, a call at work and it's, what are you going to do for the next 90 days while you're on furlough? And it was amazingly optimistic and having been unemployed before for a season. Um, and again, my, my cup tends to be half empty rather than half full. I was just in my mind thinking of all these other scenarios that were not being expressed on that call. So I think it's important for us, and we've driven it home here, but I think it's important for us to stop and analyze where we are, to take the time to label those emotions and label, I, I like your question about where, it, where are you feeling it in your body as well? And I think that's important as well. Any, any additional thoughts of where we can kind of land for now, Trish, and then we can kind of delve into treatments and all that on our next podcast together. Yeah, different types of interventions. Yeah, for sure. So I think that the first thing is absolutely community and community could be community of one. It just means one, at least one other person, right? Like whom can you reach out to? And if you're in a crisis, then I'm, I'm going to echo what you said before, Leonard, and that is reach out to a medical professional. And there are, there's the crisis text line, there are a number of hotlines, there's the public health department. If you or somebody that you care about seems to be going through some things and needs to speak with a crisis counselor, there are many that are available and many free services that are available through multiple communication um, channels, whether that's text messaging or being able to pick up the phone and have a conversation. Now, short of that, I, I love that you and Steve and myself included are open to, you know, conversations with people. But I think it goes back to just even those simple interactions, like when you're out at the hardware store and you see somebody that you love and you have this joy and excitement, we get to honor those sensations, too, and those emotions, too. Like we get to play the entire human emotional scale like we we get to have that joy and exuberance of seeing somebody that we care about and we get to express that as well and that could be a brother or that could be a neighbor or that could be a, a you know a, a, a child that's done the rainbow you know put one of the sidewalk chalk and put a rainbow in a driveway or it could be any of those things we get to we get to honor how do we be more attentive to that emotion in in the moment and i think the last piece is um how do we how do we have those uh, sm what seem like small interactions? Um, just a real quick example. I, I called to pay my mortgage the other day because I'm fortunate in being able to do that. And I, I do that manually because it's an expense that I, I don't want to just write off every month. I've, I've done I've been in this house for 22 years and I I, I deliberately and intentionally pay the mortgage every month to be attentive to it, um, to just raise it on my awareness. And so I called the mortgage company and just asked, you know, the woman on the phone when she answered the phone, how are you? How is your family? How are things going for you? And she was so surprised to have somebody even take a minute to even ask 
the question. And we can, so we can do that, right? It's that, it's that connection of that we are really in this together, although our individual experiences are certainly going to vary, but it is a shared experience that we all are going through. And at the end of the day, how do we, how do we belong to humanity? How do we belong to this global community of being in service to each other? And there are small things that we can give and small things that we can get from those interactions ourselves. Well said, Trish. Well, Trish, I, I worked at a call center for 10 years, and uh, so I, I talked to a lot of people uh, on the phone, and uh, it's very rare to get someone to call in and, and just ask how your day is and and uh, find out how, how you're doing. And I remember once in a while when that would happen, it, it was impactful. You remembered that call. You forgot all the other 100 calls you took that day, but you remember that one. And so I think uh, one thing that we can all take away from this is is any opportunity we have to be kind is never um, a wasted opportunity. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I think we'll end on that note and pick up and talk uh, treatment and uh, different things on our next podcast. So, uh, Trish, thank you for opening yourself up and, and being so transparent about your situation look forward to hearing how things resolved and how we can actually apply that in our own lives and Steve for your insights as well. So we'll go ahead and wrap up today. And again, just a call out to you that may want to reach out to us in any way, shape or fashion. It's just simply furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. If you've had something traumatic happen, if you're looking for a community or if you just want to make suggestions of uh, future topics, feel free to reach out to us. Promise we will respond to it. And we'll wrap up. Just again, reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Upwards Unlimited. That's up, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com, where they help you and your company work with conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. So until next time, while we finish this up, take care of yourself and do that inventory. Bye-bye, everyone. Black, white, and fly. Black, white, and fly.